Welcome back to Series 13 of Game Changers. Series 13? <laughs> On behalf of Adriana and the whole team for a, from a school for tomorrow, I want to thank everyone for their amazing support of our little podcast. Our most recent Series 12 has continued to build our audience reach with over 320,000 episode listens from over 72 countries across the world and a group of listeners that is growing every day. And our team has been amazing. Thank you to Oliver, our producer to date, and Kyle as our guest liaison officer for all they do to help us make everything happen. Now, this year, we want to mix it up a little. We're excited to be exploring three powerful ideas of voice, agency, and advocacy in greater depth while we record just a little less. Three series of eight episodes, each with a special series of three episodes. We hope this will allow us to dig deeper into the nexus between our humanity and the role that education plays in helping us to generate it, put it into operation, and review it in that ongoing and endless cycle of renewal that helps us to find both meaning and purpose in our world. I'm going to take a little time with this introduction. So if you want to settle back, pour yourself a cocktail like Adriano, and just enjoy the moment, please do. Education does not exist in a vacuum. We do what we do, not for its own sake, but as the key process of transformation of the child into the adult in which we equip, empower, and enable them to grow, make progress, achieve, and succeed. We do this so that the most formative period of education in the lifetime of learning, the school years, might genuinely become a rehearsal for a life that will be both well-lived and worthwhile. This needs to be a life that wrestles between the inner world of realisation of the self and the external world of replication of the capacities which are expected of us if we are to make a positive contribution to those around us. The answers for this, as we know, listeners, are not fully articulated, nor are they ever permanent. We strive for belonging, relationship, service and vocation along what we, at Game Changers and a School for Tomorrow, call the pathway to excellence. We stand for the need to build the curiosity, compassion, courage and conviction to take the big step forwards and up. And yet we know that evolution and not revolution is the way forward to doing this. Most of us can be inspired by big thinkers and powerful ideas, yet we tend to take small steps at a time, cautiously translating inspiration into implementation, both by ourselves and in company, as we build the knowledge, skills, dispositions and habits needed to be future fit and future ready. As we do this, we need to be mindful of the need for learners of all ages in their dual roles as both novices and experts engaged in that most powerful pedagogy of character apprenticeship to strive for openness as well as embracing order. This calls on all of us in schools to adopt an approach to cultural fit and understanding which contemplates what we might become and respectful of those whose legacy has been passed down to us, how we might identify with and respond to the beliefs, culture and honourable traditions of our social groupings while also connecting with and learning from those from other communities. As we do this work in schools that rehearse our students for this life of purpose on the pathway to excellence, we are part of a world which presently seems to be gripped by a conflicting crisis of both indifference and intolerance, of personal gratification and polarisation. 
We know that honouring the new social contract of education, creating today's learning for tomorrow's world, means that we need to resist the normal, natural and very human temptation to politicise what we do along ideological lines. For every learner is home to a unique life, as Adriano has been teaching me for so many years now. And that life must be blessed by the values and value proposition that we as educators offer that helps every one of our students, no matter their provenance, to locate their identity and express it through their own voice, to show their capacity to make a difference through their agency and to make the case that life is best lived when we do these things by tasking our advocacy for the sake of others. Now, where we come from in life can tell us a lot about where we're going. There is a narrative that we weave about the transformation from being to doing to becoming. History, geography, food, clothing, language, music, religion, literature, art, the arts, all these things matter not just in themselves, but also how they connect us to our sense of identity. They help us to express the subjectivity of our humanity and its longing for belonging, our voice, how we might act in the world to fulfil our potential our agency, and how we might connect both of these as we advocate for all that is good and right about where we came from, where we are now, and where we might be headed as we tell the story of us, complemented by the objectivity of the sciences that tell us of the common condition to which we are all bound in enduring experiences that are shared despite our individual differences. Our culture is especially important to us precisely because of this balancing of the subjective with the objective. It's the things we do individually and collectively that help us to recognise who belongs, what holds us together, and how we make progress by doing well that which is known and tested by the passage of years. And so we cannot make progress today and tomorrow until we recognise and do what we can to reconcile ourselves to the mistakes, the wounds, and the transgressions of our past. So where do we start? Where must we start? The lands and waters of what is now the nation of Australia, our home, were once organised amongst our First Nations completely differently. Our culture has been grown by the contributions of both Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples since Europeans first came here. Yet the gaping wound of our history still festers as we contemplate the injustice, the dispossession and the death that have and still flow from the failure of our interactions to do good and right by all. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains and make our pledge to do what we can to use the power of story and education to find healing through an unwavering commitment to truth-telling. So if we are to consider voice, then we choose to focus the first series of Game Changes for 2023 on the voices of our First Nations. 2023 is a year that has announced the profoundness of belonging with the Australian Prime Minister's move towards a referendum for the constitutional recognition of an Indigenous voice to Parliament. In support of this national conversation about an international significance of the putative decision by Australia's to adopt by referendum an Indigenous voice to our federal Parliament, we're devoting an entire series to the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Adriano and I believe that constitutional recognition through a voice to Parliament can and should give Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people greater agency and stronger advocacy, particularly through the impact of education on the growth 
character, competency and well-being in pursuit of belonging, relationship, service and vocation in the lives of all. And so in this series of the Game Changers podcast, Adriano and I want to explore the notion of voice, tell your story together with you, our listeners, and seven remarkable First Nations game changers across education, society, and industry, brave pioneers amplifying the voice of Indigenous people across our land and the world. So, Adriano, I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Wow, Phil, that is so much to digest just in that introduction, but I'm really, really excited to be with you again. Wow, 2023. Before we get into this really important conversation around voice, how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Oh, Adriano, thank you for asking. It's a cracker of a day. It's just beautiful outside. It's so un-Melbourne for it to be this beautiful. (laughs) And you know what I've realised? I've realised there's a transplant going on. All that beautiful weather that Sydney would usually have at this mm. time of year and all that crap weather that Melbourne would usually have, there's been a swap. And I right. know why. I know why. It's because Melbourne insisted on it because they've lost the rights to host the A-League football final for the next three years to Sydney. Wow. I didn't know where that was going to go, listeners, and I'm really not going to entertain Phil in a conversation about the world game, which he has no knowledge about. So enough of this nonsense, Phil. Let's get to our theme of this series, which you have eloquently prepared all of us for in that really, really poignant introduction, which is fundamentally around tell your story through amplifying voice. As we have seen in global research educational programs from School for Tomorrow and Game Changers, everywhere and everything that we do in school starts with belonging. If we feel as though we belong and we know where we fit in, then we are more likely to fulfill our inherent possibility. If we feel as though we belong and are fulfilling our potential, we are more likely to do which is good and right in our lives. If all of these things are happening in our lives, we will feel as though we are developing in character, competency and wellness and making progress on the pathway to excellence. We will feel as though we are becoming accomplished and making our way in this world. And this, as we know, can only be good for everyone. We need to end up knowing that we belong within our community. To do this, we need to be able to demonstrate that our values and actions align with those of a group or a tribe. We need to make a conscious choice that these values and actions accord with our core beliefs about doing what is good and right. Our perceived belonging and social standing are inherent in our humanity. The challenges posed to these by the destructive conduct of others, especially when fragile in their emerging forms, can be obviated by a deliberate culture that cultivates a psychologically safe space to explore and craft identity. In school, it begins with giving students the opportunity to communicate their ideas and opinions without fear of justice or judgment. This equips them to reveal their authentic self by sharing the experience of their unique story and how they learn, live, lead, and work in community. This, of course, in turn allows learners to position themselves in relation to others and to seek dignity in what they do and in the service they provide. It allows them to recognise that through contribution to others, they can transcend simply doing a job and take on a vocation to which they are called because it allows them to transform the lives of self, place and others ultimately for the better. 
In all of this, it does not say that anyone is better than anyone else. What it does do is help them and us to recognise that in coming to know who we are and how to earn our place, we are more likely to go on this journey from me to you to us. Although none of us are special, we are, however, marvellously unique. We all have an ongoing relationship involved within all the elements and life of itself, place and the other. An unbroken flow of divine goodness sustains the existence of the universe in all of us. We all need to remember our story is one of awe and wonder, of divine light that is shared with each of us freely. In the context of what we have learned at A School for Tomorrow and, of course, Game Changers, this essential concept of the role of a narrative in education is the story of an authentic voice that is located in belonging, a story of agency gained through the exchange of adaptive expertise and self-efficacy that allows us to fulfill our potential, and of course, a story of doing good and right in which one's capacity to lead in community is exercised through advocacy of and for all the others. And as we have seen already, the story is formed, tested, and refined within those powerful and transformational relationships of character apprenticeship that occur everywhere in school. The co-authoring of a shared story in this way has the potential to shape and influence decisions by learners with adults around what, how, and why they learn and how their learning is assessed. The object of this all needs to be the refinement of the voices of our learners and how they engage in the world. This should be realised through the commitment of our schools to build learning ecosystems that are human-centred, technology-enriched, people, place and planet conscious and intentionally purposeful about what they do, especially in their determination to allow each learner to tell their own story. You know, Phil, a school for tomorrow's aspiration for a reimagined learning ecosystem honours the new social contract of education this notion of creating today's learning for tomorrow's world. It recognises the fundamental importance of the contribution that student voice can make to each and all of us. We humans are, by and large, social beings. We are meant to be in the company of others for significant periods of time. Each one of us has a part to play in how we relate to each other, how we forge a common purpose and build the culture of people, place, planet, and practice. Young people who find their voice in supportive learning environments are more likely to develop a confident and authentic voice, a capacity to act with transformational agency in the world, and a vocational willingness to advocate for and lead others as servants of something greater than themselves. We can test the relevance and quality of an education in this construct by asking the question, first posed by us, to us, I should say, by Game Changers Series 2 guest, Penal Rip. Whose voice is missing? And if it emerges that belonging and identity are compromised, we need to ask the question, how does this impact our understanding of the world? And there is no single example of the power of these questions to define the health of a community and education systems that serve it than the need for the voice of our own First Nations peoples in Australia to be enshrined in the fundamental documents that define the constitution of our nation. Absolutely, Amico. And thank you for framing the provocation of this series around the question, whose voice is missing and how does this impact our understanding of the world? 
I absolutely agree on the centrality of the voice of First Nations people to the story of our country. Perhaps now we might return to some of the words of our friend and partner Leanne Wilson, a Bidjara and Karakara First Nation descendant who also acknowledges her South Sea Islander heritage. Our own A School for Tomorrow Acknowledgement of Country was developed in consultation with her, and it's appropriate that we refer to it in full now. A School for Tomorrow acknowledges the First Nations and custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally, and the continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to stolen generation survivors. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains and our pledge to build a world that can heal through our unwavering commitment to truth-telling through the power of story and education. A School for Tomorrow stands in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters and works for justice and true reconciliation. These are confronting and unyielding words. They speak with directness and intensity to truths in Australian history to which many might find distasteful or contrived as what some might call a black armband view of our history. Yet these words are what they are in what they call out from the shadows of our past and our present, and they finish with a clear vision of hope for the future. I think our listeners will already know of my firm conviction that, as educators, we are brokers of hope in the lives of others. When we speak to young people today, too often we hear of so many narratives present in our world, largely perpetuated by the manipulation of social media for the wrong end, that speak to the alienation of the individual from the world at large and of the threats posed by this world. Disease, war, poverty, systems failure, greed, dispossession. It's as if the voice of the better angels of our nature, to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, have been drowned out by the voices of fear and negativity. If we listen too much to this voice of doubt, then we too will be disposed to find in our differences from each other the opportunity to reject how we might come together and collaborate with one purpose in mind. In other words, when we privilege alienation over connection, we put ourselves before others. We deny the power of relationality to work in our favour. We will reject the potential to harness a whole collection of dispositions founded in hope that might be exercised in mutual support of each other in the great enterprise of the learning work of schools. Five dispositions. A disposition towards engagement, the mandating of diversity and respect that insists on an open culture where difference is rewarded. A disposition towards wondering, the exercise of curiosity and inquiry that fosters a culture of innovation where creativity is rewarded. A disposition towards encouragement, the attention to both specific and general needs that creates a culture of personalization where commitment is rewarded. A disposition towards modeling, the display of generosity and humility within relationships of character apprenticeship that cultivate a culture of excellence where dedication is rewarded. And finally, a disposition towards action, the promotion of initiative and self-determination that forges a culture of decision-making where improvement is rewarded. This does not mean that we should be Pollyannas who naively assume that all will turn out for the best. Neither should we be selective about acknowledging our past so that we only see an unerring picture of progress. We need to be prepared to tell it like it was and is, but we also need to be kind and accommodating in our appreciation of both the triumphs and disasters of our human experiences. We need a measured and realistic sense of proportion to achieve the balance and judgment needed to tell a true story of yesterday and today and tomorrow.
We also need to strive to see that there is much more that can and should bind us to each other in our shared humanity, in spite of those things which we feel are distinctive to us as individuals. This is ultimately about a propensity towards creating value in and for each other. When we recognise that we're all trying to do much the same things in terms of the big picture of our lives, it becomes easier for us to think about how we might explore the importance and process of the values and value proposition that will help us to form thriving communities in our schools and societies at large. All of us are on the pathway to excellence that Adriano and I mentioned earlier. It's a natural and normal part of human development, a journey of inquiry in search of meaning and the discovery of truth and relevance. The journey helps us to learn this self-awareness of knowing ourselves through asking, who am I? To live in relationships built by earning our places through asking, where do I fit in? To lead as a servant who go on a journey from me to you to us through asking the question, how can I best serve others? To work vocationally and find our calling by asking the question, whose am I? Perhaps then we can be thinking of what we can do to help others to find the answers to these questions. We can't do the work for them. Their answers will have meaning and relevance because they own them. This sense of ownership is ultimately what brings the most value to people. When we believe something is truly ours, then we'll be much more likely to do the work required to reject any immediate gratification and seek the reward of growth and achievement in the long term. We will also be much more likely to put aside self-centeredness and give of ourselves with decency and love so that others might benefit. You know, I feel so much of what you're sharing with our listeners is in reference to our capacity to develop and lean into our relationality. We we need to locate our capacity to grow in connection and a shared purpose with others through improving how we develop our ability to listen with care and empathy to the voice of others and to seek out ways to find common ground, appreciate differences, resolve conflict and achieve the satisfaction of mutual interests and concerns. You know, all around the world, when we ask people in schools about what they want from their leaders, the idea of listening keeps coming up again and again and again. We need people who will listen to us and hear the voice that lies within. We need people who will employ their competencies to refine this voice and to help it to emerge into the marketplace of ideas and exchange of relationship space that is fundamentally fit for purpose. We need people to care enough for us to give us the time and the compassion to reveal what is troubling us and where we feel that we just don't fit in. We need people to connect with us and connect us to others and help to build a common community culture of values, beliefs, goals, processes, and norms of behavior, the way we do things here, basically. These need to include helping us all to reflect on ourselves individually and collectively so that we can celebrate our wins, develop our strengths and resolve any conflicts or uncertainties that arise. We also need people to help us to sharpen our individual self-efficacy, how we organise ourselves so that we put our character competency and wellness to its best use and in turn into our collective efficacy how we organise a group of people into a team who are working together willingly to achieve a common mission that forms the community which they serve, the team itself and the individuals within it. This means we need people who can draw the best out of us. We need people who can help us to grow in character, to help us to feel as though we belong. 
that we are fulfilling our potential and doing what is good and right in this world. This means we need people who will feel are on our side, who understand what we're going through and how it makes us feel. This quality of empathy goes beyond feeling sorry for someone. There needs to be a genuine desire to create solutions that can nurture, that can challenge and inspire us to grow in our overall character, competency and wellness. You know, simply put, we need leaders who have a capacity to listen, to understand, not simply listen, to respond. Thank you, Adriano. Perhaps also we need leaders who can listen to understand, not simply to respond or even not even to bother to respond at all. Let's try and understand where we've come from in terms of listening to understand the voices of First Nations people in our country. Australia has seen over two centuries of failed policies directed towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, policies created by governments without enough engagement from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are directly affected by them. Historically, as we have seen, many policies were formed within a record of the racist alienation of First Nations peoples. Latterly, it's possible to argue that more recent policies have often been formed from well-meant intentions to respond to the situation at hand, but they've not involved systematic consultation with First Nations peoples, nor have they delivered significantly better outcomes. In 2008, the Commonwealth state and territory governments committed to achieving equality for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in health and wellbeing, education, employment, justice, safety, housing, land and waters, languages and digital inclusion within a generation through the Closing the Gap strategy. Some 15 years later, while on almost every measure there's been some progress made, the goal of closing the gap within a generation is simply not on track to be met by 2031. Let's home in on three facts in relation to what Phil has just shared. The first, the gap in child mortality between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians is still too large. Non-Indigenous child mortality is at 67 per 100,000 compared to Indigenous child mortality, which is at 141 per 100,000. Number two, proportionally, Indigenous Australians are the most incarcerated people on the planet. Although Indigenous peoples only make up 2% of Australia's total population, they represent 73% of the incarcerated population of our country. And the third area, over the past 10 years, the life expectancy gap still remains between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. For example, a female Indigenous Australia's average life expectancy is 75.6 years compared to the average for the non-Indigenous Australian, which is at 83.4 years. Men are even worse. So Indigenous Australians are dying earlier, and this disparity is even worse in more kind of remote Indigenous communities. I think we can all agree that the quality of life for First Nations people can and should be better. Doing more of the same and accepting the status quo simply won't work. We continue to fail when we create solutions for and impose them on First Nations people without them having their say on matters relevant to them in a respectful fashion. This may not solve all the problems, but it recognises that the dignity and the worth of a group of Australians who have been alienated by society for far too long, it offers a better way forward. In 2016 and 2017, the Referendum Council led a series of regional dialogues to discuss options for constitutional recognition with First Nations people from all corners of the country. 
the purpose of these First Nations regional dialogues was to ensure that Aboriginal voice and decision-making was at the heart of the process. The stories that were recounted in those dialogues were collated and along with the records of meetings read to the First Nations Constitutional Convention at Uluru in May 2017, the Convention endorsed the works of the dialogues and approximately 250 First Nations delegates came together to issue the Uluru Statement from the Heart to the Australian people. The Uluru Statement from the Heart is a call by First Nations people for real and practical change in Australia by delivering constitutional recognition through a voice to Parliament and the establishment of a Marikata Commission to undertake processes of treaty-making and truth-telling. You know, Phil, in, in the Uluru Statement of the Heart is the following passage. With constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. I love that when I read that in the statement. And it represents a profound statement of vision and generosity from our First Nations peoples to the Australian nation. It offers the hope of a promise that if we get these reforms right, it will not only benefit Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but it will add to our shared sense of identity and nationhood, our collective humanity, our collective belonging, and ultimately our collective story. One of the key reforms that was proposed by the Uluru Statement from the Heart was the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Constitutional recognition through a voice to Parliament would mean a body enshrined in the Constitution our birth certificate, as our Prime Minister keeps referring it to as, that would enable Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to provide advice to the Parliament on policies and projects that impact their lives. A voice to Parliament in Australia would provide a formal platform for First Nations people to provide input and advice to the government on issues affecting their communities and the broader Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population. It could empower First Nations peoples through a greater say over how to deliver policies for their children or much needed change to issues around juvenile justice and a say over health, education and policies to truly help close the gap. Ultimately, it would give the Australian government the opportunity to make policies with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people rather than for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's a significant recognition that considers the vast experiences, wisdom and diverse perspectives of our Indigenous sisters and brothers. It may well lead to better policy outcomes, strengthen legislation and programs, and importantly, achieve better outcomes for First Nations people. This process would start with the creation of a permanent system to listen to and understand the voices of our First Nations people, the voice to Parliament. Yeah, thank you, Phil. You know, the imperative for this fundamental change on a, on a societal level is clear to both you and I. But what does it kind of mean for everyone in schools? What does this mean for educators in schools and across the country? So I wonder if, if I might just kind of begin by telling some of my own story of my own kind of journey towards reconciliation. Our listeners will know that I come from an immigrant family and that I'm, that I'm part Italian and part Austrian. And that growing up in the western suburbs of Melbourne, my own upbringing and education was wholly European-Australian, both in experience and outcome. I have been able to make my way in this world on, on the shoulders of my family and my friends and, and of course, my, my community. And, and 
In addition to that, my Catholic faith and its emphasis on social justice has always been an important part to me and over time has challenged me to seek further how I might take seriously the mission of bringing hope to the lives of all. And like many Australians, you know, my my journey towards understanding and reconciling the past, the present and the future of Australia with its First Nations people has been a gradual one. I'm on a continual learning journey. My work as an educator has afforded me many opportunities to build my knowledge in this respect. And I'm still learning a lot every day. I recognise that for Indigenous Australians, as for all peoples who have suffered from discrimination and exclusion, history is an important It is important, I should say, and it's something that we can all grow from. You know, the central events of colonised history always involve a painful and often murderous account being driven off the land of which they have been part of for thousands of years. So much more was stolen from them in the arrival then, of course, of European settlers. Land, camping grounds, sacred sites, access to food and culture. They're numbering among Australians and, of course, their inherent dignity. This loss was crystallised to me particularly in learning about the story of the stolen generations, the historic forced removal of children from their families under cruelly racist assumptions about what was best for them. I learnt so much too from my encounters with First Nations students that I've taught over the years and their families. Perhaps I might highlight one student in particular, Michael Tuanuku. Michael has part Australian and part Solomon Island heritage, and he identifies very closely with his First Nations Solomon Island roots. He came to the school I was working at some years ago at the beginning of year 10 and quickly found opportunities to connect to all aspects of learning and life at the school. Through the school's rugby program in particular, through ministry and community outreach, which we're so passionate about, through comprehensive academic creative offerings, including a participation in a three-week visual arts tour of Italy, Michael quickly established his voice and his own unique story. Michael was, and still is, what I consider to be a Renaissance man, a young man of real integrity, character and broad leadership attributes. In his final year, he was appointed to the role of college captain in 2015, where it was so well received by the entire community, especially his peer group. I remember a moment that when I sat down with him and asked him what it is that he wanted to achieve as a captain, one of the first things he said was, I would like our community to develop a way to better recognise Indigenous Australians. And by better, he meant a more authentic way. So throughout 2015, very subtly, as this was his kind of leadership style, Michael continued to challenge what we as a community were doing in this important space. In particular, I can recall he worked closely with students, staff and local elders to craft an appropriate acknowledgement of country for the school. For Michael, voice alone was not enough. Voice needed to be led to agency through advocacy for the other. He's not Aboriginal himself, but his ongoing passion for justice and true reconciliation challenged all of us, including me. I had thought that I was a person with great empathy for our Indigenous sisters and brothers. Of course, I had so much more to learn, though, and to do in response to what I learned. When I reflected on my conversations with Michael, I continue to ask myself, what are we, I, doing at our school to truly animate the rich and remarkable story of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples? What was missing in what we were currently doing? 
So I decided to get better educated on this issue. I have formed the view that it is important for all Australians not to keep the history of First Nations people a mystery. As a Christian for whom God's action in our world is a mystery that draws us beyond what we can understand or hope for, I believe that we are invited to allow history to be a mystery in the full sense of the word. It is more than this kind of dry recital of dates and places and events. It is the story of humanity that makes a claim on all of us of good and evil, of suffering and resilience, of crime and reconciliation, of contempt and respect. It goes beyond history, therefore, to the power of story and education to heal and build true reconciliation that Phil mentioned in our opening. A few years later, in 2018, the entire school community gathered for assembly as we commenced preparations more broadly for National Reconciliation Week from the 27th of May to the 3rd of June. National Reconciliation Week is filled with history. In Australia, National Sorry Day is the 26th of May. National Sorry Day recalls not, not an event, but a continuing scandal of the stolen generation, the Indigenous children who were stripped away from their parents. The shared story of Reconciliation Week also includes moments of recognition and of restoration. The 27th of May is the anniversary of the 1967 Australian referendum that allowed Indigenous Australians to be counted in the census. And finally, the 3rd of June is the day of the handing down of the 1992 Mabo decision by our High Court, a decision that acknowledged, finally, the traditional rights of the Indigenous people to their land, rights that existed before the British arrived and which can still exist today, especially through native title. The history recalled through this week is symbolic of the inheritance of Indigenous workers and of the Indigenous young people. They bear in their lives its marks, as we all bear the marks of our history. These events have both real consequences and, of course, symbolic value. They encourage Indigenous Australians to press for recognition in Australian institutions of their unique status in Australia. All are significant events in giving Indigenous Australians a voice and their dignity. For all of us, it is a spur to make the future one of reconciliation. The challenge we all face is to educate an Australian public, many of whom prefer not to be reminded of the wrongs Indigenous Australians have suffered or of the need for reconciliation. The Assembly was part of our school's response to this call. It was a historic occasion for the school for specific reasons, as it was an opportunity for three houses to not only promote the year's National Reconciliation Week theme, Don't Keep History a Mystery, but also to present Indigenous-themed kits for our sporting teams that they had designed in partnership with the elders from the Wurundjeri Land and Compensation Cultural Heritage Council. I had an opportunity on that occasion to give a speech at this gathering, and I chose to speak to the profoundness of identity and belonging and of Michael's contribution to my own growth in this respect. I wanted to show how, when each young man ran out on that playing field or that track wearing their new and impressive Indigenous playing kits, they were called to remember that they were not only representing the college in their chosen sport, but something far greater more significant, the voices of those past and present First Nations peoples, the traditional custodians on which the school stands. So now, as we move forward 
Our stories of reconciliation take us to what we as Australians ultimately value, whether we can measure this or not. And as we contemplate what matters most to us and how this might influence how we educate our children, I again challenge those listening to this prologue to ask themselves whose voice is missing. Thank you for sharing this personal story of the example of Michael. Of a character apprenticeship with a student, Michael was the expert and you the teacher with a novice, Adriano. It's a story of what transformational leadership in school can look like when we're truly open to permissioning the co-creation of our learning communities with the young people in our care and the co-authoring of the story of this transformation to strive to ensure each of our listeners can authentically feel seen, known, valued and loved. Thank you, Adriano, also for sharing the call to learn, live, lead and work with the transformation of voice through deep listening and the cultivation of belonging. But enough of our voices on this matter. There are better voices that we could be listening to. Series 13 of the Game Changers podcast will see us encounter seven remarkable educators, activists, industry leaders, human beings who will challenge our binary thinking of identity and belonging. Game changers who will plant the seeds for each of us to grow in our understanding of what history is calling us to do, who will invite us all to join a movement of the Australian people as agents of social change and walk with First Nations to a better future by listening to their voice and their voices. I'm excited to learn from our Series 13 Game Changers about how they're locating and sharing their remarkable First Nations story. I can't wait. Let's go. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.